Good morning, New Life Downtown. It's great to see you. If you're able, let's stand together as we join in worship today. Always great to be together. Welcome to all of you who are joining us for the first time, everybody online. It's great to see you, great to see you. We're gonna start off this morning with, uh, with a prayer. It's actually a, the lyrics to a hymn, an old hymn by Charles Wesley. I'm gonna read it for us, but I'd love to invite you to make this your prayer. It's a prayer that our hearts would be made ready to praise God. The words will be on the screen, you can follow along. It says this. Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that's trusting in the blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned, submissive, meek, my dear Redeemer's throne, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. A humble, lowly, contrite heart, believing, true and clean, which neither death nor life can part from him that dwells within. A heart in every thought renewed and filled with love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of thine. Yes, Lord, give us your heart today. Thy nature, gracious Lord, impart, come quickly from above, write thy new name upon my heart thy new best name of love. That's our prayer today, Lord, that our hearts would awaken, that you would wake us up to praise you like never before. If the glory of God is man fully alive, then wake our hearts up like never before so that we can give you glory like never before, God. Awaken us to praise you, Jesus. Be glorified in this place. Let's sing this together. The starry host, you trace the mountain peaks, you paint the evening skies with wonders. The earth, it is your throne from desert to the sea. How nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Yeah. 
Let drums and choirs ring out All heaven hear the sound of worship Let every nation bring its honors to the King
morning to listen, to be still.
desolate places, Holy Spirit, come. In the empty places, Holy Spirit, come. In the questions and the waiting, Holy Spirit, come. In the brokenness and the hurting, Holy Spirit,
Yes. <laughs> oh, at the end of the book of John, there's a moment where Jesus, after having resurrected, gathers his disciples together and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. The image recalls back to Genesis chapter 1 when God takes humans and he forms them from the dust. He breathes on them and the life of God comes into us. It's an apt metaphor for the whole, our whole life with God. He breathes out and we breathe in. He gives. We receive. Would you take a moment this morning and open up your hands and just become aware of your breath today. Maybe take a deep Inhale and pray, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus breathed on them. He breathes out. And we breathe in. He breathes out healing. He breathes out salvation. He breathes out mercy. He breathes out grace. He breathes out forgiveness. He breathes out comfort. He breathes out presence. He breathes out power. And we breathe in. The whole life of God. We receive today all that you have for us, Jesus. Teach us to live in the very breath of God, to breathe in, to receive all that you have for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning in middle school. We love you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great time with Pastor Brock and the team back there. If you have a teenager uh, in the room or you are a teenager in the room, we encourage you if you're a middle schooler, go and join them. Or uh, if you're a high school student, find Pastor Brock after service and ask some more about our growing student ministry here. If you are visiting, if this is your first time or maybe uh, first few times here at New Life Downtown, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, and we would love to meet you and answer any of your questions and hear your story and give you a little gift this morning. If you take a moment and scan that QR code and fill out a guest card or stop by the welcome area after service. If you're like, I don't want to deal with that tech, uh, we've got handwritten cards you can fill out and uh, we've got a gift for you. We'd love uh, to meet you today. If you're watching online, maybe you're like, I, you're up in Monument and you got, you know, 18 feet of snow or whatever you guys got up there. Uh, you couldn't get out of the driveway today. We love you. We miss you. Hope that you uh, are doing well. Everybody else, well done. You made it in the midst of uh, winter. That was a beautiful snowfall yesterday, but it's great to see you today. Today is Meal Group's launch Sunday. Uh, so after service, uh, out in the courtyard area, we'll have food and drinks and heaters uh, so that you can spend some time uh, meeting our meal group leaders, those who are launching new small groups this season. All of our meal groups are walking through two historic Christian practices this year uh, during the season of 
Lent, which is getting ready to start soon. We're going to be studying fasting together. And during the season of Eastertide, after Easter, we're going to be studying Sabbaths together uh, using some materials from an organization called Practicing the Way. So we encourage you to stop by, take a look at the meal groups uh, today, or just hang out and have some food and meet some other people uh, this morning. We have a guest preacher this morning. I'm so excited uh, for you all to meet her. You've heard a numerous stories about her life uh, over the years as the woman who's coming to preach to us is uh, Sarah's closest friend in the world. Um, her name is Reverend Dr. Andrea Summers. She serves as the Dean of Spiritual Formation and the campus pastor at Indiana Wesleyan University. Any Indiana Wesleyan University grads in the house? A couple Iowa folks back there? All right. What's your mascot? I don't even remember. Do you have a mascot? What's that? The Wildcats? Is it really? The Iwoo Wildcats. All right, go Wildcats. Uh, isn't that also the high school musical? Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, Wildcats. They inspired high school musical, Indiana Wesleyan University. Uh, but Andrea is, uh, she's a pastor, she's a professor, she's a preacher, and she is a dear friend of ours. We first met uh, Andrea and her husband, Jeremy, uh, in the summer of 2006 when we moved to Wilmore, Kentucky to go to Asbury Seminary. Uh, Andrea and Jeremy became very close friends of ours and a critical piece of our community during our season there uh, as their friendship was a means of grace for Sarah and I, especially during the season of marriage crisis. They were, their table was a healing place uh, for our marriage and their friendship continues to be that uh, for us. Andrea, we're so absolutely delighted that you're here. Thank you for coming uh, and preaching for us this morning. As we prepare our hearts to receive the word today, there's uh, two invitations. The first is to continue to participate in the ongoing life of God's people by sharing our resources together. Uh, so if you would like to give today, you brought a tithe or an offering, there's four ways that you can give. You can scan that QR code and it will take you to an app where you can give or you can give online at the website. If you're giving online or via the app, please make sure you like New Life Downtown in the drop-down menu. There's also boxes in the lobby or there's an address there uh, if you want to go old school and mail it in, especially for those of you who are watching online. And now we're going to prepare our hearts, take a moment of silence before the scriptures are read to us, before we hear the word of God proclaimed. And we invite the Spirit to speak to us this morning. Hello, my name is Rick. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 6 and 11 to 14. Then the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your being, in order that you may live. This commandment that I'm giving you right now is definitely not too difficult for you. It isn't unreachable. It isn't up in heaven somewhere so that you have to ask, who will go up for us to heaven and get it for us that we can hear it and do it? Nor is it across the ocean somewhere so that you have to ask, who will cross the ocean for us and get it for us that we can hear it and do it? Not at all. The word is very close to you. It's in your mouth 
and in your heart waiting for you to do it. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Eddie. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians verses 13 through 17. If we are crazy, it is, I mean, if we are crazy, it is, oh, if we are crazy, it's for God's sake. If we are rational, it's for your sake. The love of Christ controls us, but, I mean, because we have concluded this, one died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all, so that those who are alive should not live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize the people, we won't recognize people by hum, human standards, even though we used to know. Christ by human standards. That isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a part, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. The word of the Lord. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading. My name is Ruth. I'm reading today from John 4, 34 through 39. Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying? Four more months, and then it's time for the harvest. Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying, that one sows and the other harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you have not worked for. Others worked hard, and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified, He told me everything I have ever done. The Gospel of the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you today with open hearts. We just reiterate that prayer. We prayed in song earlier, come Lord Jesus. I pray that you would open up hearts, ears, lives to your word. Give me the words to say in your name. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat. 
Well, <laughs> it's so good to be here with you. This actually isn't the first time I've worshipped with New Life downtown. I have, you know, been here for the weekend before and visited Jason and Sarah and gotten to worship with you. And I've always felt so uh, welcomed and like I belong here. It's interesting because, you know, Jason... 17, 18 years, something like that, we've known, our families have known each other, and we've watched our families grow and all these things, but uh, I'm kind of, I mean, the reality is, I I have some dirt on Jason and Sarah, like, I'm kind of surprised he just handed me the mic, because I could tell you some stories. (laughs) Maybe you'll have to mic me back again, and I'll tell some stories, okay? But what I want to say this morning is this, that uh, Jason and Sarah are the real deal. I've known them for a long time. And they, they, that's right. (laughs) And they love God. They love this church. They love you. And so of the many things that we have in common this morning, one of them is that you and I are so blessed, whether you realize it or not, to have Jason and Sarah in your life. So, but truly, I are just being here this morning, getting to be a part of things a little bit in the back end instead of just getting to, you know, uh, participate in worship as I have before. I have felt so welcomed and just like I'm already a part of the family, this is a special place. And so it's just a privilege to get to share with you today. You guys have been walking through the book of John together, Um, and so I get to jump into that this morning, looking at John chapter 4, this series that you've been doing, opening up the gospel of John, this idea of behold. And it's interesting because John includes these poignant conversations with people that don't, don't show up in the other gospels. You looked at one of them last week with Nicodemus. And this week, we're looking at John chapter 4, this conversation. It's actually an evangelistic conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. And on the heels of that evangelistic conversation, this woman ends up becoming the first evangelist in the Gospel of John. And so I want to talk about, we're going we're gonna to head towards eventually this idea of evangelism this morning. I think sometimes when we talk about, you know, when we hear that word, we get, like, we get a little, like we put our defenses up a little bit, like that idea of evangelism. Somebody's going to make me do something, make me say something, something I don't want to say. Like evangelism is a hard thing. I think sometimes, you know, the excuse is, well, you know, it's not my spiritual gift. Like I just don't. And yet, didn't God command or Jesus commanded, you know, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, right? I don't think any of us are off the hook here. It is something that we are all called to do. But even more than being called to do it, I think that we actually miss out on the goodness of God. I think we miss out on, on the beautiful spiritual journey when it isn't a Christian practice that we are leaning into in meaningful ways. That, in fact, that's, that's where we're headed here as we look at John chapter 4. Jesus talks about uh, uh, this, these spiritual conversations as he refers to them as spiritual food for himself, some sort of nourishment and sustenance. So, so that's kind of where we're headed today. And really, um, what I want to talk about this morning, we're not going to talk about the whole breadth of evangelism. I just want to talk about this one idea, that the starting place of evangelism is not, you know, going to a workshop, although, you know, those are good. They have their place. Uh, memorizing the Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws or and, uh, reading all of the... There's a, 
so many good resources and helps out there when it comes to this stuff, and we should avail ourselves of those. But I want to suggest this morning that the starting place for evangelism is God's love for you. God's love for you. And yet, so many of us struggle to accept God's love in different sorts of ways. Like, whether it's we struggle to believe that we're worthy of, like, we can imagine that God might love someone else and forgive other people, but, but we feel like that's something that, you know, it's so hard for us to imagine that God would have that for us. Or maybe we can imagine it cognitively, but to actually live and walk in the reality of God's love, it's such a hard thing for us. And yet, uh, here's the thing, there is this connection between believing you know, and not just in our head, but actually in the deepest parts of who we are. There's this connection between believing that God loves you and being able to share that love with other people. There's a connection there. And so this is where we're headed today, this idea that the starting place for evangelism is God's love for you and receiving God's love for you. So... You know, there are so many stories, if you look at movies, classic literature, all of it, novels, so many stories, if you look at them, the character, as we watch this character kind of unfold and develop, their character, their behavior is explained by some sort of traumatic event that happens in their past. Think about, you know, Anakin Skywalker and his evolution to Darth Vader, Right? Think about Iron Man, you know, here he was, he he was forced to create this weapon of mass destruction, and uh, it it informs so much of how he lives the rest of his life. You've got uh, Harry Potter, he lost his parents at a young age, and he was mistreated by his aunt and uncle. Over and over again, you've got these characters that uh, they have something that they're running away from or that they're trying to make up for. And and we're not that different. We're gonna look at the woman at the well this morning. She's not that different. So let's go ahead and start in uh, verse four and just jump right in. We'll read a few verses at a time as we go. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. So we'll stop there for a minute. And as as I studied this passage recently, I kept asking myself the question, like, what is she doing at the well in the middle of the day? The temperature probably would have been over 100 degrees outside. All the other women would have gone in the cool of the morning to get her water, and yet here she is, So I'm going to want you to talk back to me for a second. We don't know this woman's name. We don't know much about her. But if you have ever read this passage before, and a couple of you have maybe, why don't you tell me, what do we know about this woman? What? Say it louder. 
she's, she's an adulteress is the words that she uses. Well, we, we know that she had five husbands. And we know the man that she's with right now is not her husband. So, yeah, what else do we know about her? Anything else? She's an outcast. There's a reason why she didn't want to come to the well with all the other women. And we also know that she was a Samaritan woman. Okay, so, so, so here is this woman that she's had five husbands. We know that from verse 18. We'll get there, uh, look at it in a few more minutes. But all we know is she's had these five husbands. The one she's with now is not her own husband. And but we don't know much else about her life. And most of the sermons that I've heard about this woman, uh, they kind of characterize her as like a worldly woman. I don't know. It's a possible explanation for her behavior. I think probably what's more likely and probably the, the historical context tells us is that she was a woman who had lost five husbands. There are like two ways to lose husbands. Uh, you either, uh, in that culture, you either... Uh, they pass away or he divorces you. It was unlawful for a woman to divorce a man. So she's lost five husbands. I mean, actually, rabbinic tradition, some rabbinic tradition at that time said that you could divorce a woman just because she burnt your dinner. Like, uh, ask Jeremy, I would be in terrible trouble if that were still true. And so we don't know what happened here exactly, but we do know that whether the wound was self-inflicted or whether it was inflicted by others, that she had a wound. You don't lose five husbands and walk away unscathed. And so she has these wounds, just like Anakin Skywalker, just like we all do. And she believed, somewhere along the way, she started learning to believe that she was unlovable, that she was unworthy. She didn't even want to be seen by these other women. Has anyone ever felt that way? Like, you don't want to come to church because you don't want to have to make eye contact with anyone. Uh, you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to go to work. You, you're, you're hesitant to even go to the grocery store because you don't want to have to get caught talking to someone. You don't even want to leave your home. Uh, two years ago, so I work on a college campus. Jason suggested that earlier. And so I, I'm the pastor to about 2,500 2, undergraduate college students, and there's a never a dull moment. I love it. But about a year and a half ago, there was a group of students who found an anonymous way to go online and go on social media and say horrible things about me, um, things that were not true, and stuff that made my husband's blood boil a little bit. And I remember, you know, preaching, if I'm honest with you, preaching is already a pretty vulnerable thing for me to get up here and to preach. It's, and so to have to get up that morning and, and preach, knowing that there's people sitting out there who've probably never had a conversation with me, probably never even talked to me, but who, for whatever reason, don't like me. And I don't even know who they are. <laughs> Like, it was such, I just wanted to stay in bed. I wanted to pull the covers over my head. I didn't want to go anywhere. And I'm guessing you've had an experience like that, too. Here's this woman, and she thinks, man, if I can just get there, I can get in, I can get my water. I don't have to make eye contact with anyone. I don't have to talk to anyone. And this is her plan, and, and she's, tr she's trying to just get in and get out, only her plan totally backfires on her 
because who is waiting for her at the well? Jesus is there. And Jesus crosses every cultural, societal, uh, religious boundary in order to engage her in this evangelistic conversation. She was a woman. A man should not be seen in public speaking to a woman, and yet he does it anyway. She's a Samaritan woman, and Jews considered Samaritans to be half-breeds, unclean, unworthy, and yet Jesus talks to her anyway. He doesn't care what society says. And not only that, but she's a woman with a reputation. It's a big no-no, right? And Jesus just dives in to a conversation with her. In fact, she's the one who's incredibly surprised. She says it in verse 9. She says, how can you ask me for a drink? She knows this is weird. But not only does he talk to her, he has what is by far the longest conversation that is recorded in any of our Gospels as he engages this woman. The kind of dignity and love that he offers this woman is remarkable. It's incredible. So let's keep going. Picking up in verse 10, Jesus responded, if you recognize God's gift and who was saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become, in those who drink it, a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You have spoken the truth. You know, I have read this passage many times. I've actually preached on this passage before, but what hit me this time as I was studying the text was the question that Jesus asked her, because He's offering her this living water that never is dry, runs dry. He says, everyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again. And then she says to him, give me this living water so I won't be thirsty. And you'd think, like anybody who knows anything about evangelism, this is your moment, right? She just asked for living water. This is the moment where you step in, you lean in, you're like, all right, repeat this prayer after me. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, she asks for living water, and he goes straight for her wound. She says, give me living water, and he asks her about her husband. Verse 16, go, call your husband and come back. Why would Jesus do this? 
She says to him, well, I have no husband. She's kind of giving him the bare minimum of information. She's basically going, it's complicated, Jesus. You wouldn't want to understand. I don't want to get into all the details. I just don't have a husband. Anybody, by the way, (laughs) anybody have anything complicated going on in your life right now? Where Jesus may be tapping on it a little bit. And you're going, oh, it's complicated, Jesus, like you wouldn't understand. I just, I don't want to get into all the details. And yet, I wonder if Jesus isn't tapping on that wound a little bit. Saying, hey, I've got living water. Jesus is going, listen, you want to quench your thirst? Okay. How about you stop running to all these things that are never going to satisfy you? Jeremiah 2.13 says it so well. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Man, how many times have you and I been thirsty and we've been looking in all the wrong places? Here's this woman, she comes to this well day after day to get water that will pacify, but it will never satisfy. She wakes up the next day and she's thirsty again. We think, what, like, what is it in our lives that we think that the relationship Like, that's what's going to satisfy. Or the more meaningful career or the promotion or more spirituality or asking for more spiritual gifts or more things, maybe that will satisfy. Or a better house or, God, if I just had a better marriage, if I just had better kids, maybe it's just working out or financial stability. If I just had financial stability, then I would be satisfied. Maybe if I were less busy, I could concentrate on all the things that God is calling me to do. How many times have we chased after these things that do not satisfy a million cracked cisterns in our lives. And yet we wake up the next day still thirsty. There's some folks this morning who are waking up. And that's maybe, maybe you don't even know it until this moment right now. But the reason you're here this morning is because you're still thirsty. Jesus says, the kind of water that I give you will never run dry. It's the water that springs up to eternal life. It's the water that he offers that starts with being seen. That's really what Jesus is doing for her here. He's going, no, 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 uh uh-uh. I see you. It starts with confessing the truth. It starts with being completely honest about those wounds, about our sins, about our story, about all the good things and all the not so good things about who we are. And Jesus says in response to that, the water I give you will be a spring welling up to eternal life. Amen. Several years ago, Jeremy and I, we moved our family to... Atlanta, Georgia, we bought a, okay, got some friends in the house, and uh, they would not know what to do with this snow, I'll tell you that right now. We moved to Georgia, we buy a house, anybody ever buy something and then immediately have buyer's remorse? Okay. We had been, we hadn't been in the house 24 hours, and I'm sitting in the 
living room in like the one chair that we have at this point. And I hear the sound of rushing water and then that water just splattering all over the wood floor in our entryway. I don't think we have any running water in our entryway. So I go running to the entryway to see what is going on. And sure enough, there's like, you know, just pouring out of the ceiling down onto the floor. I go, where is this coming from? I run upstairs. I go to the spot upstairs that's like right above the entryway hallway where the water, I should, you know, I, was, I don't know what I'm going to find there. Nothing. It's the middle of a master bedroom. There's, there's nothing going on. And it's about that moment that I realized just, just down the hallway, my son is taking a shower. So I go and I turn the water off and sure enough, eventually the water starts also pouring downstairs. For whatever reason, the uh, drain pipe, the drain was not connected to the drain pipe. It was going down the drain and just, and <laughs> that was a fun experience. How many, how many of y'all know that water will always find the lowest point? It will always find the lowest point, right? It will find, in, instead of the water just going straight down uh, under where the bathroom was into the garage, instead it was finding every crack, every crevice, finding its way down to this lowest point and then continuing on down to the first level of our home. Andrew Murray wrote in his book, The Journey Toward Holiness, here is the path to the higher life. The higher life is down, lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds us humble, his glory and power flow in to exalt and bless. Water finds its lowest point. Listen to me carefully. The living water will find your lowest point. Your deepest wound, your greatest need, your deepest longing. And he will fill that place with the power and the healing and the love of the Holy Spirit. Man, a few weeks ago I had a student reach out to me. She wanted to meet with me. She's a senior. And I'd never met her before. We'd never talked before. She comes to my office and we start talking and come to find out she's just wrestling and she's been wrestling for a long time. She feels like uh, she's unworthy, that she, she doesn't know how to accept. She knows God's love here, but she doesn't know it here and she doesn't know how to get past that. We talked for a while. We prayed together. She left my office. Later that night, she ends up wandering into a prayer and a worship service. There was a student-led worship service on our campus. And next thing you know, she finds that there's two students who are praying with her, praying for her. And she, she, two days later, she sends me an email and she tells me about it. Here's what she said. She said, I didn't really know what to expect, but I imagined feeling that grief that I had been wrestling with for so long. But instead, I felt a huge weight lift off of me. And instead of feeling pain, I was beaming from ear to ear. I felt joy and delight in the Lord's presence. I think God was showing me that shame is nothing like him. 
I haven't felt joy in a very long time, but I cried tears of joy. I think it's still an incremental process, but I am different. Amen. And I think this is what happened to the woman at the well, too, that, that the living water trickled down to her lowest point, to her deepest wound, to her greatest need. And instead of experiencing the fear and the grief and maybe even the rejection she thought was waiting for her there, she felt nothing but joy and relief and love. She finally knew who she was, actually, and what her purpose was. She had a purpose in life. And, and guess what? The purpose was not to come back to this well every single day and get water over and over again. Her purpose was to testify to the living water. And so we pick it up again in verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will teach us everything. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Then Jesus, then Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see the man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. So here she is. She is, she is so filled with the living water. She has this new purpose, so much so that she actually took off. Did you notice that? She, her, she left her water jar behind, and she takes up the whole reason why she'd come to the well in the first place. She has a new purpose in life, friends. She takes off. And so the very people who she had been going to great lengths to avoid just an hour or two earlier, now she is rushing toward them, head on to reach them with the good news. And here she is, the least likely the least prepared, the least trained person, and yet she becomes the first evangelist in John's gospel, the first person to share the good news. It says in verse 39 of the text, many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. But the story doesn't stop there. I think sometimes we're tempted to just kind of end the story there, like it's beautiful, it's incredible. But that's not where John ends this story. He keeps going. Because for John, and really for Jesus in this text, it's not just about the living water. John wants to keep going to explain to us the urgency of the heart of Jesus to reach lost people. In fact, Jesus describes this urgency as a sense of hunger. Do you see the irony here a little bit? This irony that the living water is the thing that satisfies our thirst, but that it is, you know, that, that uh, having these evangelistic conversations and sharing the good news is something that actually makes us more hungry. And so Jesus, the, the disciples come back and they say, Rabbi, you need to eat something. And well, let's just read it from the text, starting in verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples spoke to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. 
the disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? He's like, you know, did you get some Chick-fil-A on the side or what happened? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you say, don't you have a saying, four more months and then it's time for harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Jesus is, he's referring, when he says four months, don't you, don't you have a saying, four, month, four more months and then the harvest? Jesus referring to this saying that would have been very familiar to them, that basically, like we have a saying um, really similar to it. We say, good things come to those who wait. Have you heard that before? This idea that you can't plant uh, a seed and then expect to harvest it that very same day. It's unrealistic, right? It's really good advice. It's a good saying when it comes to agriculture. But Jesus is saying, when it comes to the spiritual harvest, that's not true. He says, you say four more months and then the harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And I don't think Jesus was pointing to the fields of grain or whatever was growing around him. No, I imagine that Jesus was pointing to the Samaritans that were coming up over the rise of the hill, being led by this Samaritan woman who's saying, this is the man who told me everything I ever knew. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, today is the day of salvation. I think it's so tempting for us to go, well, you know, I'll share my faith when I'm not so busy. I'll share my faith when I have more non-Christians in my life. I'll share my faith when it's not so awkward. Or, you know, maybe when I feel braver. When someone comes up to me and asks me to share my faith, then I'll share my faith. Jesus is going, no. The reality is, even right now, friends, God is going before us. There are folks before us who, who have planted the seeds and we just get to harvest them. There's not a day goes by on this earth that God does not draw people closer to himself, that he is not changing hearts, that he is not preparing people for spiritual and evangelistic conversations, that there are people in and around our lives right now who are ready to step over the, the threshold into faith and into Christian family. It is time. Paul says it. The time is now. The day of the Lord's favor. This is the day of salvation. But evangelism isn't just for like other people, right? We talked about this at the very beginning. Evangelism is for us too. It's for us too. There is something about actively sharing the good news that actually nourishes our soul as it whets our appetite at the same time. And as Sarah comes, back, comes up here and the, the band comes back out, I just want to end with this final thought that the disciples come along, they say, hey, Rabbi, did you get something to eat? Why aren't you hungry? And Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. Jesus is basically going, why would I want a sandwich when I could save a soul? It's no comparison to him, right? This idea that evangelism isn't just for them, it's for us too, that there is nothing in my life that has 
increased my faith, that has given momentum to my spiritual life, like praying with Jenna to receive Christ, like seeing Kathleen step into the kingdom and then her whole family behind her, like baptizing Heather and Nicole, like seeing Brad come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it in the whole world. Anyone know how that feels? It's incredible. And I'm not standing in front of you right now as somebody who like has it all. I think I have gotten evangelism wrong a lot more times than I have gotten it right. But I am someone standing in front of you going, I, I need the living water. I need to know the love of God anew and afresh in a new way today. And so here's the thing, if this Samaritan woman can do this, like if she can get this, I think we can too. Again, she's the most unqualified, uh, untrained, the last person you would think, and yet she has this delightful conversation with Jesus. And it propels her forward to share the love of Jesus that she knows in the deepest parts of who she is, to share that with other people. So I think it's really fitting this morning that we would turn to the table because the bread and the body of Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. And so as we come to the table today, I wanna encourage you, if you're, if you need to know Jesus' love for the first time or you need to know it again and afresh and in a deeper way, like think about that as you take those elements. But, but here's what the table does for us. It's not just about being filled and satisfied by the living water. The table has this way of turning us around and sending us back out again with our appetites wedded, ready to uh, you know, know that God has a harvest. The harvest is plentiful. He's saying to us, open your eyes. Today is the day of salvation. I was just imagining coming to the table and finding Jesus here, just like he was waiting at the well. For the woman. So I want to just put that image before you as we come to the table today and remind you that Jesus is here. This is Jesus's table. And all who want to trust Jesus as the king of the world receive here. All are invited here. If you are not ready to receive the truth of Jesus, thank you for coming this morning. We're really honored that you're here and encourage you, just like Jesus encourages you to keep coming and to keep asking questions, to keep being open to dialoguing with him. And if you are ready to begin following him, would you join us as we pray a prayer together that confesses our sin or essentially talks about our deepest wounds, our need for the love of God. We ask for forgiveness and mercy and salvation. So the words will be on the screen. We can pray them together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news, words that are true, not because I'm saying them, but because of what God has done. So would you, like we do every week, open up our hands in a posture of receiving the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, and this is what proves God's love for us. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who've been raised to new life in Jesus, I invite you to please stand and greet those around you in the peace and the grace of Christ. Let's come back together now. The words to our liturgy will be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is. It's right. It's a good and a joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. Why? Because you formed us in your image and like we talked about earlier in the service, and we sang about this, you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your, le your love kept coming at us. It remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son Jesus to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was going to suffer for us, he was going to be handed over to death and the grave. He was eating with his friends. And he took bread and he blessed it and gave thanks for it. And after he had blessed it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you drink it, remember me. And so, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, God, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Would you stretch out your hands? Pray with me as we invite the Holy Spirit to meet us here, to encounter us here. Oh, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on us as we're gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine, and may they be for us the body and the blood of your Son, Jesus, that we may be for the world the body of Jesus that is redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until you, Jesus, return in final victory and we get to see you face to face. 
Amen. I want to invite the servers to come up. And as we're preparing to receive, I want to remind you that these are the gifts of God. Thank you. They're given for us, the people of God. So as you receive them, remember that Jesus loves you. That Jesus gave his life for you. And feed on him in your heart. How? By giving faith. By saying thank you, Jesus. If this is your first time here, we've got a QR code that you can scan that gives both instructions for communion and a little more information about why we practice this the way that we do. Um, you can also just follow what's going on around you. If you're unable to come forward, please ask someone to bring the elements to you. If you're in the balcony, you can come join this section on the right, or there's some elements on the table up there. As we come to the table together this morning, Jesus is here waiting for us, letting his love trickle down to the lowest point of us and then sending us out with a new hope, a new energy for sharing the love of God. Come, let's worship together as we receive.
Jesus' name above 
Friends, can we thank Andrea for being here with us this morning? They'll be able to stay around for just a few minutes, then Sarah's going to have to take her to the airport today. But thank you so much, Andrea, for coming to visit and for sharing with us all this morning. Please tell Jeremy and the kids we said hi when you get home. We love you. Uh, friends, it's Meal Group's launch Sunday, so one of the invitations that we felt before us this year is to cultivate our common life together in Christ. And one of the most practical ways to do that is to get involved in a small group uh, and find a way to connect with others on a consistent basis. So there's a bunch of groups out there. Uh, don't let this opportunity pass you by. Please stop by the tables. Find a group uh, that will help you connect uh, with others and to grow in your life with Jesus by practicing fasting and Sabbath this coming uh, season. Now, as those who are the dearly beloved sons and daughters of God, would you open up your hands as we, as Andrea just said, are turned back outwards, having received everything that we need for life and for godliness from him. We are now sent to go into the world with the living water of Christ springing up inside of us to nourish us and to nourish others. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and fill you with peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. God bless. I love you, New Life Downtown. I'll see you around the city and back here next Sunday. For those of you online, go in peace as well. Love you all.